came to me with the idea and I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm no way ever letting anyone know that I've got this or sharing this. I think the one thing that scared me was people's pity. And I was like, I don't want people to feel sorry for me because I'm fine, I'm chilling, you know? Yeah. I saw on your website, you talk about it and saying that it needs to be a 365 day a year concert. Yeah. Today, very special guest on the podcast, somebody that has come across my desks, somebody that I've been researching and learning more about, Aruj Aftab. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Good, good. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you for coming in. Um, so you are a presenter, fashion creative, consultant, all of the above. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, you know what? When people ask what I do, I'm not, I don't know. I, I say I'm just a bit more of a multi-hyphenate sort of person. Like, yeah. I, I'm a creative. And I think if I just say I'm a creative, I think that sums up everything I do, yeah. sort of. But th then, unless they ask the detail, I'm like, how long have you got? Because- but That's where I wanted to start. I wanted to be like, what the hell does a day-to-day -day look like for you? Like, what, like is it different I every day? I don't even know what tomorrow's looking like. Yeah. I don't know this weekend. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like every day is different. Yeah. It do purely depends on what I've got going in my head and what commitments I've made. Yeah. Um, it's different, like it's hard to sort of describe what happens. Like some days it'll be back-to-back -back events and meeting clients and some days it'll be, oh, I've got life admin, which means I need to make X amount of decks, I need to do these emails, I need to schedule some stuff yeah. or I need to just write and um, think creatively or sometimes there might be meetings. So it really depends. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but I say every yeah. day is different. How, how do you balance that? Because what I would say is I'm one of the least creative people in the world and I just stick to doing business. Like that's Your my- podcast, that's my, that what? Uh, I don't know. I think like, that's creative. I think Josh helps me look creative, but- Big shout I, out to I, Josh. I, big shout out. I, but I just feel, I just, I'm always fascinated by people that kind of balance this creative and business lifestyle. Do you have like set days where you're like, I'm going to be creative today? and I'm going to be business today? Or is it just, do they just blend into one and you just have to take yourself away sometimes, even just within yeah. your own head? They blend in sometimes, yeah. but I have to have set days. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I think as a creative, you can sort of get in your own head and you run away with the creativity, but it's got to make sense. Yeah. Right? So you've got to make sense of the creativity because a lot of my stuff is more about execution and output and ideas and how can I, mm. how can I turn this into more of an entrepreneurial thing? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it isn't, sometimes it's just a creative idea, but I have to allow myself to have business days because I really enjoy creative days and I can get carried away with an idea or mm. creating some artwork or working on a deck. And I'm like, all right, what's the business side of this? Yeah. So I have to really set days apart, but I, it's not something that I overthink. It's, mm. It happens naturally as well. Like I work backwards, like most people have a business plan, then they think of the creative, creative idea. I'm like, I need the creative idea. Yeah. I need to know how it's going to look then I come up with a business idea. Cool, that sounds good. I um, I know we were talking just before we started about your background and I, I always like starting with people's you know childhoods and how they became the person that they are today. So talk to me about your background, where you're from, where you grew up. So I'm from Bradford, yeah. uh, West Yorkshire, very small town, a very like, humble upbringing. Um, like I, it's, it's like when I when I think of Bradford, whenever I say Bradford to people, they're like, "Oh my god, like Bradford!" I think that's a true weird perception of Bradford. But I'm like, I'm Bradford through and through, yeah, and yeah. home is where the heart is. So, yeah. yeah, from Bradford, and I grew up there, born there, raised there. My whole family's there. My parents are there, and um, 
my entire education was de- done there up until university. So even my art foundation, oh, yeah, wow. before starting university, I went to the local college. Okay. Um, and it was a good college. And I think we really, some people really underestimate like these smaller cities because yeah. they don't have as much economy, like economy, like wealth in, yeah. in their economy. It's not seen as good enough. But I did all my education in Bradford. Then I went to university in Nottingham. Uh, studied fashion communications at Nottingham Trent University, lived there for three years. Then I moved to Manchester for a bit when I was working in the modeling industry behind the scenes. Mm. Then I was like, right, I'm moving to London. So 2019, I came to London, November 2019, just before lockdown. Oh God. Which was what like, was that like? Like moving to the hustle and bustle and then complete lockdown? My, I, was already, I was already back and forth from London right, okay. anyway. And I was like, yeah, yeah. it's like... I think I just need to move there now. And I remember yeah. being in Manchester and I loved Manchester. Don't worry, I love Manchester, but I was getting major FOMO that I wasn't in London because everything that I want like associated with like yeah. these events, these people, the friends that I was making were in London. Manchester, I kind of struggled to find like the sort of relatability sort of factor. I feel like mm. it's great. I think now we're like, I think it's changed. This is talking about five, six years ago, yeah. but I think now there's like, London has a lot more different subcultures. And Manchester mm. does as well, but I feel like London's a lot more open. There's, it's a bigger city, there's a lot more opportunities. Sure. But yeah, my twin sister was already living here. So then when I said, I'm gonna move down, we just looked for a two bed. So it wasn't like a massive change because it was like, I was just mm. moving in with my sister. Yeah. And, um, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting time because it's, I think it's when I probably flourished the most was in that moment of silence where, we were all inside. I love that. It's it's always interesting to me to know when you were growing up, did you always, were you always creative as a, as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, and into fashion always or was fashion later on? Fashion, yeah. I think fashion was like in the background, but it, okay. I was more into art. Right, okay. Um, and, and and like compared to my twin sister, people would say, oh my gosh, she's academic, you're creative. And I was like, what does that even mean? Because yeah. I think... The whole academic and creative thing is like so like judged on a surface mm. level basis. You have to do one or the other. Right? That's yeah. what everybody says, but it's not true. It's not true. But I think the way I learned academically was through creativity. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to explain that to people who don't get it. I'm like, mm. I, like even when I was in school and it, we were doing English, I'd have to like imagine in my head and physically see the text in front of my eyes floating rather than reading it through a book so it was like I had to really immerse myself into everything and the only struggle with that was maths you couldn't do that so I was really sucked at that but yeah I was definitely more creative um and it was more art led but the art was it's still a similar pattern of how I do my art now there was still something to the art rather than it being Mm. I'm just going to draw some lines and a face yeah it's so interesting to me because I know you said when you came in, you liked my trainers, but I am not someone that's on like the forefront of fashion. And I'm always fascinated by, I've got friends, like my cousin is incredibly, he's going to hate me for saying this, but he's incredibly stylish, what I call him. Like he's always ahead of the trend. We, when you were growing up, did you feel like you were always ahead of the trend or is that something again that you started to learn? See, I don't know. I never, I, I never thought about that. Yeah. I think being in a city, I was, Bradford's a very simple place yeah we had a very simple upbringing like I come from a Pakistani background and at home like often if I was going to see family or I was Mm. like lounging I'd wear like traditional just like a long sort of um 
camise, what we call it. Mm. And it's yeah, more chilling. But then when I wore like more, when I went out with my friends and I wore Western clothes, it was just something that I liked wearing. Like, but it was on trend. It was what I saw in the magazines, but it was budget shopping because I wasn't working. I was like, I was like, okay, what can I, what can I afford and what can my parents afford? Yeah. But I remember every time we had like non-uniform days in school, mm. people would be like, oh my God, you and your sister look so cool. What does your dad do? What do your parents do? And I realized then I was like, ah, oh, like, okay, this fashion identity thing is actually quite interesting, but I never mm. thought myself ahead of the trends. I just thought myself as I'm just trying to dress in what mm. is cool yeah. as a kid, you know? When I was doing my research, um, I came across your documentary, My Tumors Made Me Trendy. Mm. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about that story. Because I, I was watching some of it again this morning and it's a fascinating story about about you. So for anybody that hasn't seen it, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so My Tumor Movie Trendy is a documentary that I did in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try make this like quick as possible. Um, no, no, no. Honestly, go into as much detail as you want. All right, Fab. So my twin sister at the time... Well, yeah. she still works for BBC, but she was working for the BBC, and you know, she started, it was starting up. She just like, yeah, I need, I want to have this role, and I want to do X, Y, Z. But my land manager says I've got to come to him with an idea that he's never heard of. And at the time, I was blogging, so I had a blog, I had a right. website, and I was contributing. I was just writing the magazines like free, and um, I was wearing oversized clothing, and I just developed this following on Instagram that I didn't really think anything of it, but I was wearing yeah. menswear and oversized clothing. Um, and at the time, just that's because I just didn't want to wear fitted clothing that showed, like that you could just, you could see any marks or bumps. And um, I got nominated for a Cosmopolitan Influencer Award as mm. Best Newcomer. At the time, I wouldn't know if I would even categorize myself within that sort of industry. But I was like, oh right, this is cool. But at the same time, I was, I, when I was looking at the description and the bio, I was like. Mm. I'm being nominated for wearing like oversized clothes, but nobody actually knows why I wear oversized clothes. Yeah. Like I wear oversized clothes to so hide. So you didn't share the story nobody, initially, right? It, it, I would just purely put forward for what I was bringing, I guess, yeah, yeah. to like the blogging sort of scene. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like a bit of a fraud. Uh, and coincidentally, my sister was like, oh, like I want to do a documentary about your condition because you're working at a modeling agency. Mm. You've been nominated for this award, but everything surrounding this leads to one thing, which is body image mm. and the way you look. But nobody actually knows your full story. Mm. And I remember she came to me with the idea and I was like, absolutely not. Like I'm no way ever letting anyone know that I've got this or sharing this like. It was too personal. Then I remember having a deep think about it. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's my sister. Like, let me help her out. You know, it could help her out. And maybe I'll meet somebody with with a condition. And she was like, it's going on iPlayer. I was like, oh, online, no one's going to see it. It's not on TV. Cool. Mm. I mean, I don't know why I thought that I was working that marketing guide. I was like, oh my God. Like, I don't know. I think I was just so like delirious. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I remember doing that documentary. And... We filmed a bit at the modeling agency I was working at the time, and I'd met Adam Pearson, who has the same condition, but mm. his is visible. And it, it was an interesting time. Like I'm trying to just like have a few flashbacks of that time doing that documentary, and it was very. Like, I feel like very numb towards it, but I feel very. I, I remember it all, but then it's, there's some numb parts as well because I think it was such a 
weird experience to go through when you're that vulnerable and being that open. Right. Like I blocked a lot of emotion out and I was just like, I've just got to do this. Did I've you have a lot of control it. over it? Over the whole, I guess, creative and production side? They were very open listening to me and plus right. one of your sisters on yeah. like, the team. Like Helps. if I didn't want to do something, they were like, cool. Yeah. But there was not ever something that they put forward that I didn't want to do. They were, mm. I think they were very sort of open with listening to how I felt and how I wanted to tell the story, but also like they gave their input of how they wanted to showcase it. Yeah. And one thing that I remember saying is that I don't want this to be a negative thing because mm. I'm not, I, I, I think the one thing that scared me was people's pity. And I was like, I don't want people to feel sorry for me because I'm fine, I'm chilling, you know? Yeah. And I also don't want them to treat me differently because I felt with school and primary school and whatever being told, dealt differently mm. to, compared to my twin sister or yeah. being treated as incapable just because of this condition. But my grades and my skills spoke otherwise. Mm. So it was like, I don't want to be treated differently, but I want to share this story because I think it's important yeah. for people to know this condition that affects more than 26,000 people um, in the UK alone with type one neurofibromatosis. And it's more common than Huntington's, Parkinson's and cystic fibrosis combined. Really? And yet very little people know about it. So I was like, I need to share this story. But yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, I, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that documentary. Yeah. So I'm only grateful for it. So it's good. Is, is it not known, do you think, because people don't share their story and sometimes it's not visible and therefore it's it's not yeah, like a... people don't know they have it, I don't think. Oh, really? Yeah, because like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why it's not known. Yeah. I think there's a lack of research on it. Right. Um, even in like since doing the documentary, the medical students I've spoken to, mm. they don't cover cover that aspect as much, but they right. know about it. Yeah. Okay. And I, th I don't know if it's to do with funding or whatever money's mm. put into different studying different diseases or conditions. Mm. I don't know why it's not like because there's people that die from this. There's people that lose limbs from this. Yeah, there's people yeah. that uh, lose mobility or. You know, and I think, I, I don't know why it's not studied, but I think, mm. yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. No, I mean, I, again, I watched it a, a bit of it again today and it's an incredible story. And I think that, as you say, it's, it's created a bit of a platform for you. So going back to, you, you moved to London 2019 and in 2020, you launched Done With Diversity. Talk to you about that, about ditching this word diversity. Yeah, so after the BBC documentary that yeah. I did in 2018, um, I remember that coming out in, I think, 14th of December, 2018, that was released. Okay. And immediately, like, my Instagram went crazy mm. and press, media, brands, a swamp of them got mm. in touch. Um, and I remember, like, it, this is an interesting part to the story. So I remember when I was working in the fashion industry, well, I still work in the fashion industry, but when I was working in the modeling industry, mm. my mindset conformed to a system of diversity was, like, people that look like me mm. or people that are not white, basically. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, okay, diversity, we need diversity, we need diversity. It was not until when I, after the documentary I was put into the diversity box where I'd be on certain brand campaigns or, like, press and they'd call it a diversity campaign and nobody behind the scenes looked like me nobody there's people that couldn't do like there was some black talent on set and black models on set and they couldn't do the hair I was like okay whatever like this is weird then as time went on mm. I was the only brown girl behind the scenes out of a team of 
entirely white stuff. And I was like, what's diverse? Because it's not my skin color, surely not. Mm. And at that time, my story was getting told less, less and less, but I was just the face of these campaigns. Mm. I was like, my skin color is not diverse. Um, I know I don't think having a disability is either. I think it's mm. like, we should probably normalize this because it's a, it was just a really weird concept when I was behind the scenes. And then I realized, oh my gosh, like the way people are portraying diversity makes a non-disabled heterosexual white man a woman not normal anybody yeah. who's not that is considered diverse as a how this is just a complete concept of otherness that is actually quite damaging yeah because if we kind of continue to treat diversity as an other and where white is the base and anything that's not white is diverse mm. who decided that mm. so i was like this is weird and then i remember being like okay i'm done with this word and it was bubbling towards summer of 2019. I had to really think of how I'm gonna do it. And then January 2020, I launched it. Amazing. And you obviously go in and you speak to businesses and you help strategize and you talk about this concept of being done with diversity. So what can businesses and brands, and because we work with so many brands with our creators and a lot of the times, and obviously won't name names for certain brands, but it is a TikTok exercise. Yeah. You know, Pride's coming around in June. I know that our um I know that our roster with those creators that fit a Pride campaign yeah. are gonna get way more business than they do the rest of the year, and then you don't hear from that brand again. So what what's your advice for brands and agencies and just businesses in general to to get rid of that diversity? Because I think that a lot of brands and agencies and businesses, they do see it as this tick box exercise. Hmm. So what? how do you go in and how do you advise on that side of things? I think it's like, I plant the seed more than telling people what to do. Yeah. I'm like, it's, you know, I think it's very, is it, people have to listen. I'm like, look, people are not seasonal. Like that's one thing you need to know mm. is like, like gay people aren't just getting pride. Muslims aren't just Muslim and Eid or Ramadan. I'm, Black mm. people are just black and black history month. And I'm like, what, why are we like treating this like a Tesco Christmas advert that comes around once a year? Like mm. people are relevant 365 days of the year, yet you're capitalizing on a month. And plus I think the way businesses work is they, they think they care more about, I guess the economy we're in is how they're gonna make money. Yeah, Which is fine, like you run a business, but I think, I think they forget they'd make more money if people were sort of relevant all year mm. round, not just seasonally. Yeah. And how much consumers spend they're missing out on. But it's, it's, a, it's a hard one because I'm like, look, people are not seasonal, but we can also implement these people in regular campaigns without it being a campaign completely about mm. what they are, who they are. Like just, it's just being included. And I think saying just include them is a massive difference to being, I like, do more campaigns around them. Yeah. So include them in what you've already got. Mm like pop them in on some other talent, but do it organically because it fits their audience and it fits you, not just being like, now we've got a thing with campaign for this, this and this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. And I think that we, it, it's been it's been an interesting concept for us as, as we've grown our roster, because our roster, when we first started, we just wanted to sign anybody. I just, mm -hmm. I, we were, it was my wife and I, and we just wanted to sign anybody we could. But as we've grown, we, we've wanted to grow a roster that, as you say, it's not about tick, ticking boxes and, and making sure we've got diversity, but it includes everybody. But it, it is, it, it's difficult when we're working with brands and they come to us for Pride or Black History Month 
or you know whatever time of the year it is and i i, I know what you're saying about the the seasonal thing and i, I saw on your website you, t- you talk about it and saying that it needs to be a 365 day a year concept yeah and that nine times out of ten brands get quite lazy i think you call it lazy yeah marketing. lazy marketing yeah, yeah talk to me about lazy marketing what does that mean as a concept for you? marketing is when it's given to you. I think if if you're like if you're not really thinking outside the box, you're waiting for the seasons to come to be like, oh yeah, it's time for us to do this. I'm like, like what are you doing? Like, mm. like uh, it's really frustrating because Ramadan's just passed, he's just gone, yeah, and I was participating in that month, yeah, and it's like it's a hit and miss because sometimes you see things happen, sometimes you don't, and equally both are frustrating. Mm. And then sometimes you see the same people just get in every campaign and sometimes you see none. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what lazy marketing is when you, yeah. I think either when you, the same people are constantly everywhere or when you just wait for these seasonal, whatever you want to call it, to come for mm. you to then take opportunity. Mm. I think businesses really need to sort of work on creativity and campaign outputs. I think there's so much to be done. There's so many ideas. And you know, it's not even having ideas or concepts. It's again, just include them. Look outside the box. Like diversity is not black and white. It's not brown and white. Mm. It's that and everything in between. And I'm like, you can't have one or the other than this and this and be like, we've done the job. And I think the thing that bothers me a lot about the lazy marketing side, it is so based on surface level and not beyond the surface. There's been plenty of times where I'm like, all right, I need that. I want to see people's stats and stuff of their teams. And people are like, no, we have brown people. And I go behind the scenes and everyone's Indian. Like, I'm like, that's not diversity yeah. because you, you just, that, they're all from the same place. Yeah, yeah. So that is not, it's like, it's got to be way beyond surface level. And I think that lazy marketing thing that I talk about is has to sort of look at everything beyond face value mm. like black and brown is just the surface level now what's beyond that and what the makeup of that black and brown community is mm. is a big thing even the dis- even disability yeah visible and non-visible i think it has to be beyond surface level yeah well how, when you're working with brands maybe on like uh, content creation or on your own social media for example what kind of research do you do about those agencies or brands before you start to work with them on on that topic it's interesting. So I, I often just like, as far as like, honestly, like looking at one's Instagram page gets you a lot of information that you need. Yeah. Um, and also the website and just seeing like what talent they've worked with. And I think I try not to make a judgment too quick because I'm like, I, I'm that person that I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And mm. I'm also, I always say, you've got to pe- meet people where they're at and then just yeah. work with them where they're at. And I think there's always people and everyone can do better. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think there's ever like this judgment of being like, oh my God, what are you doing? I think mm. in my mindset, I'm like, oh, come on, really in this day and age? But I try to meet people where they're at, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I think for businesses, and I, I'm only talking from our business or from the brands that we work with, I think that what happens, like you say, is even from a profitable point of view, they always go through their seasons. So they have Christmas period, they have summer periods they have easter periods and they all have their own targets and profit to make as you say but then they always look at their campaigns in such a a vacuum Hmm. yeah because they're looking at it in a vacuum they just go oh it's pride i know who we need to get and it's like no you kind of need to look at what your brand is standing for and what your brand is wanting to be over the next 10 years not just what you want it to be in june 
Yeah, I mean, it's that's funny you say that because there's been plenty of times where there's one particular brand which I don't want to name, but they did something. I'm just going to give it away. Let me reword this. <laughs> there's brands that have these messages, but the same people that are dropping talent because they've spoken out about certain things. Got you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is really confusing. Or there's brands that have certain campaigns, but their ethos and their values and who they might have as their investors or whatever, mm. it says another thing. Yeah. yeah and I'm yeah. like, it's like, How does I, I don't happen? think, I think like people, like there's a lot of information online and it's mm. not like people like me that are looking at it. It's mm. the Gen Zs that are like yeah. ready to, going guns blazing and question these people being like hang on mm. you've done this campaign but this person on this exec said this about this this and they're, they're the ones that are running your business or so what do you have to say about that yeah. and i think it got yeah it, it's an interesting one that's not to say people can't have their opinions and thoughts but i think the value of what you're doing needs to align i don't think people need to do ramadan campaigns for the sake of doing ramadan campaigns i don't think people need to pride for the sake of doing it i think they need mm. to do it because it suits them organically yeah. and it suits who they're serving organically because mm. they need to be, as you said, they need to be going for 10 plus years and it's not about the talent they're getting, it's about the consumers they're bringing in. Mm. Now, if you're not catering to the consumers that are coming in, then why the hell are you doing the campaign? Mm. Like it's, it's like even for like sustainability, uh, like brands that come in and they get one person that might um, have a disability or be like mm. visibly sort of, disabled um and they do one campaign with them but the rest of their clothing doesn't actually suit people with disabilities yeah. or plus size women or yeah, whatever yeah. so i'm like the whole thing needs to be looked at like as a longevity purpose not a one-hit wonder quick yeah. marketing tool and a quick fix mm. and i think a lot of the time we're in, a, we're in a day and age where everything's a quick quick fix and i'm like this is not serving anyone because mm. working on these campaigns for a quick fix you then probably annoying a lot of people who are then calling out your brand then you're like apologize i'm like let's just yeah it's it a needs, vicious circle yeah it needs it? a vicious circle it needs to be on a longevity purpose and that takes time yeah. i think it's better to take time than do something because mm. you feel like you need diversity well, you know the clients that you're going in to consult with strategize with are they on the majority of them looking at it over a certain campaign or project and they're looking at it in that kind of vacuum or are they looking at it long-term? A lot long-term, I okay. think a lot of them have the vision for long-term, yeah. but they want it done in a quick amount of time, which is which is understandable. Yeah. Um, like people that I've spoken to are here for a long-term basis and often I like to work with people that don't want to work with me just once. Mm. Um, it doesn't I, work. You yeah. can't just work once on a project like this. Yeah, like I don't, it depends really what it is. If it's like yeah. a one-time project, it's got to serve that substance that it needs to have. Mm. But often like a lot of people that I'm speaking to are more long-term, which mm. is good. Yeah. I think it's changed from when I first started doing this. It mm. was like, we have this campaign, can you quickly come in and blah, 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 just advise us. And now it's more based on we're doing this and in the next six months we want to do this, but then we might have other avenues for X, Y, Z with this amount of budget and stuff. So mm. they're thinking about it, which is good. Yeah, no, it's amazing. In terms of your own social, so they blew up after the documentary and it, and it goes back to the diversity question, but we, we obviously work with loads of content creators and one of the main things we have to help them with, which isn't exactly, I guess, in our job role, but we, we take it on as such is 
is the hate that people get online, especially when you're a content creator and you're putting yourself out there. Now you're putting yourself out there in many ways, not just on social media, but in terms of your your business and, and working with clients. Have you experienced much hate online? And has that increased, decreased since you've grown? Like what's it been like? You know what, touch wood, I haven't. No. I haven't had it, I haven't had it bad as when people have it. Like I've had like one or two, like not one or two, I'm playing it down. I feel yeah. like racist people are DMs like the P word or this or that. Like, really? but that's just really random yeah, accounts. Yeah. Like, I don't really care, but I've not had a full on Touchwood mm. hate campaign. And I, and I, and it's like, I, I'd like to think that I don't ever because yeah. I'm not here to like hurt anyone. No. I'm here like trying to speak facts. And I don't think any content creator does no, hurt anyone. No. But, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had it. Um, and I think even if I have, I'm very oblivious to mm. it but I, I as far as I'm aware I've never had to deal with like really yeah. awful messages like there's there has been like comments in the past but it's nothing that I've like lost sleep over you yeah. know it's just like whatever and uh, sometimes I might be about done with diversity and it's someone like being really fragile about it mm. and I'm like I'm not like I'm just talking about beyond surface level have people stuff. ever like misunderstood the concept yeah. Yeah. and they've kind of been like why are you saying diversity is not a good thing? Yeah, yeah, they have. And how do you go back at them like at that and try and like explain the substance? I, I, I think people, are, there's a right in what different people say. And I think there's a, I take on board what other people say, especially when it's mm. translating me to audience. And I'm always hearing people out. So it's just a matter of replying to them and they're like, oh, great. So some people then understand it and be like, oh, mm. okay, I see rather than me going and being like, shut up or whatever. I don't yeah, do that. Yeah. I don't do that. Just block. Um, like. Yeah, just go away. And so, yeah, when yeah. you sort of um, explain it in, and break it down to them, they're like, mm. oh, you're done with diversity, beat when it is X, Y, Z, not you're yeah. done with diversity. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So that that is a sentence for anyone else to finish. Like I've left the start mm. and whatever you want to finish with, like I'm done with diversity being tokenized. I'm done with diversity being a tick box. So it's that kind yeah. of stuff. So I'm done with diversity, but in surface level, and it's like, it's looking way beyond the surface. Whereas people have their different thoughts and being like, well, diversity is mm. a variation. Mm. But I'm like, yeah, but we need to look, I'm looking at it from a marketing perspective, right. not a general perspective. Mm. I'm looking at it from a fashion industry, content yeah. creator, marketing perspective and how the word behind the scenes is treated. Yeah, it's, pro it's probably a really, yeah. really great thing. I always find it great when people get not called out, but questioned on concepts yeah. because it, it one, it makes you think about your concept in more depth. Yeah. It makes you be able to explain your concept way better because you're like, right, I need to now explain this to somebody who didn't understand it the first time I said it. So I always find it quite a, a comforting thing when when that happens. Yeah. What, and you mentioned about the fashion industry then and it's, it's based, you know, around the fashion industry. How, I'm obviously not, as I said, not in the fashion industry. I have no idea about it. I had um, Ben Gallagher on the podcast a few weeks ago and he he works in, um, I think he calls it pre-loved fashion, like, yeah. like reselling items. Um, what What's your opinion right now on diversity and inclusion in the fashion industry? It's, I mean, I guess like to narrow it down, at least within the UK. I need to think of this, this for a bit. Because um, I, it's great. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good. There's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Like, I feel like when we look at British talent coming through, I don't know how, 
I feel like it's difficult for people to get into places because the foundations are not set for them. And I think that's not only the fashion industry's problem. I think it's mm. the economy, so like socioeconomic yeah. reasons that fa- everything plays a factor, class, socioeconomic reasons, where you're from, what language you speak, mm. how you look. And I think like the fashion industry is a great hub of creativity that we have some great British designers, we have some great talent, we have some great artists, we have some great stylists. Um, but I think there's always work to be done. I think there's still a lot of work to be done as far as South Asian talent goes. I know there's an incredible amount coming through and have been already that have been doing incredible work, but still behind the scenes. I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I Mm. think even when it comes to funding and nurturing new designers and coming in a really, really owning British talent, like Mm. I, I, I think, I think there's a lot more thought to be taken in how we're scouting talent and how we open up because I know plenty of friends that have gone to the US and been picked up straight away. Yeah. And like, but why is it taking them longer to get noticed in the UK? Yeah. Is it is it economy reasons? Is it what, like just location issues? Or I don't know. And I don't know if that's the mindset of consumer or if that's the mm. mindset. So I'm trying to figure that out because, you know, there's great talent from that have come from the UK that are now majority based in the US because they've blown up in the US. Really? I mean, it, it, are they going to certain places in the US? Like Probably, certain, yeah, certain like bigger cities. cities, yeah. And I do think there's a big factor in this country and how we, like, I feel like it's not, it's, it, the fashion industry is one factor, but the economy and how the arts and how fashion and how, like, people can actually get into the industry is one thing. Mm. I'm from Bradford, so I remember, mm. like, I used to save my dinner money that I used to get from school, and I used to, like, be like, oh, I'm going to buy a ticket to London. I could never afford it, mm. so I, I could just about afford Leeds and Man- Manchester yeah. return. I was like, I'm just going to jump on the train here and just do something. And I feel like it's hard for creatives to financially be who they want to be fully and be like, I'm going to do this, 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 yeah. unless you have some sort of financial family wealth yeah. that can back you. But I do think in terms of the fashion industry, I think there's a great sort of path we're going down in which we are seeing a lot more storytelling and culture and what British culture really is. Like the, the Burberry campaign that came up mm. like recently under, under Daniel Lee was an incredible sort of moment the logo changed daniel's from bradford west yorkshire that is a big thing within itself like yeah, yeah. you think on oh my day someone from bradford is that concept of role models is a huge yeah, huge yeah. importance in any industry yeah and i think we're going in the right direction mm. i think i think there's always work to be done but i'd like them going in the right direction i think in terms of work that needs to be done is just allowing um more more space and there's always more space and but having a seat at the table, but once you have that seat at the table, being able to speak when you mm. have the seat at the table. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I think we are going in the right direction. I really like the way Burberry's new images and who they got in their recent campaign, yeah. the, who they had on the runway. There was variation of South Asian to black to white models. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, we are seeing, this is this is Britain, this, mm. is, this is what it looks like. Yeah. And, yeah, we're going in the right path, but I just think in terms of what needs to be done, I think there's more of an issue to do with economy and how we also mm. branch outside of London, but make things London. Yeah. 
like I think there's so much talent in the north mm. and so much talent in London, but how people are getting spotted is yeah. a very hard thing to do. I know like, like it's a massive sort of industry that's it's very saturated, but or it can be very saturated, but I'm like surely there's a easier way for people to wanting to get into the industry no matter where they're from, no matter mm. what their financial circumstances. If talent's talent, how do we get these people in? I think mm. That's where my mind has gone recently more than it being um, like other issues. I think, yeah, I think mm. I've realized how the economy really affects how diversity and inclusion plays yeah. a part in the fashion industry. Who, so who, in your mind, who's, and this is quite a big question, but whose job is it to fix this or improve it? Or do we need to get right down to grassroots? Do we need to be talking to these big institutions and the, the companies and the fashion houses? Who is it that we need, or is it a mixture of the two? It's a combination, I think, it's grassroots, definitely. Yeah. I think like government and policies and funding and grants, all that is another issue. Mm. Um, and I think these big institutions mm. is a different separate issue, but I think each, they're not all, don't have the same issue, but then one person can't work if the other person doesn't do their job and so yeah. on and so on. It's the big domino effect. But in saying that, like the the fact like as far as I'm aware, like there is a step being taken to to make. I think actively there is a lot of people that are wanting a f a f an inclusive fashion industry, mm. but the limitations to get that lie down to policy, government. You've got to get this authorization. We've got to do this mm. and this and this. So it, it's funny because I used to be like, oh my god, why is this person so talented and not getting this, this, this? And mm. ultimately, be like. It's because they're from here and they're this and that. And maybe that does play a factor, but mm. I think the more I'm here, the more I'm re realizing all oh my days, like the, the, the country and the institutions that we are built on actually affects everything because yeah. you've got to think that there has to be a budget to pay diverse and inclusion consultants. Yeah. There's to be budgets for everything. There's cost in quite a lot of things and training, whatever it might be, but that can't happen if people don't have the funding on the money yeah. for that and I do believe that is actually pe some people do have the money for that but I don't know people's priorities are different which is why I'm trying to just not like make a decision or judgment on how it is but I'm trying to just learn the factors that could play a part yeah an open conversation an open conversation yeah. you know, is it the economy reasons why mm. diverse inclusion is such, such a lack in the fashion industry mm. is it because people don't have the budgets to actually build these teams and get mm. who they want to get, get people behind the scenes. Cause there's a lot of talent that go up behind the scenes mm. that could then cast or scout upcoming fashion designers, upcoming stylists. But I feel like right now it's, yeah, it's happening very slowly, but this, but we've had some incredible talent come through like Bianca Saunders, Priya Loalio, mm. you know, the, like even the British Fashion Council announcing the new gen wave and these are designers that have just probably come out of university yeah. and just have maybe done one or two mm. collections or one collection. So there is, there is like slow change happening, but I think there needs to be, we need more, we need more of a better sort of, um, not better, we need a bigger eye in, in the overarching and other, other creatives as well. Yeah, I, I always relate any creative industry back to the music industry because I that's how I came through and I've got friends and I've got family who work in music and what you said earlier about 
it's exp it's expensive to be a creative in that I would imagine that fashion's very like music, that there isn't great money in it until you get to the higher levels of being within your industry, which means that it it's a very difficult industry to, to fund yourself. So when you're talking there about the funding and the finance side of it, I think that's actually incredibly important because if you're going to push people into those industries, they need to know that they can live and feed yeah. themselves and, and, and have the time to be creative. Like fashion designers, how they source their fabrics, how they, if they mm. want to do their first collections, how do you get noticed without putting your work online but not having a physical project? How mm. do you get noticed if you're a designer and you want to make your first collection mm. but you don't have the finances to fund that? Yeah. And I think that is a very important conversation to have because that does that does halt the mm. diverse inclusion side because yeah. there's people that are from lower income backgrounds that can't that have an insane amount of talent but can't afford to be in that talent. And yeah, I know there's a lot of funding schemes, mm. there's a lot going, there's a lot of them, but not everyone gets those opportunities and not everyone knows about those opportunities. Well, few and far between, I can imagine. And then that, then that to me, my head's now go, well, that plays back into the education system and universities and schools. And who are they talking to about these funding projects? Mm. Who are they looking at? Mm. So now are they the problem because they're only giving it to certain people and they're not looking beyond. So it's not only like purely the fashion industries thing, even though obviously they're the big factor, but I think it, it, you could, we've got to look at it as an open book. We've got to look at it as in the education system, universities, mm. who's being let onto the graduate courses, who's graduating, who's getting a job once they graduate. Yeah. And then that all then becomes in the fashion industry. So there's a yeah. lot of people in this. It's not, I think, you know, a lot of people look at the fashion industry and they can be like, if they don't, if they're not in it, like don't get me wrong, five years ago, six years ago, I'd have been like, oh, why is I no X, Y, Z? Now that I'm in the industry and I'm talking to a lot of people, a lot of creators are struggling to fund or even create their first collections and the funding they're mm. getting either isn't enough or they're not getting noticed to get that funding. Yeah, yeah. And then that goes, who's behind the scenes to notice our scout talent or yeah. whatever. So there's 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 a few factors that- Has funding dropped since COVID? Like obviously we're all living in a cost of living crisis at the moment, you know, recessions, hyperinflation. <laughs> Has funding dropped in the last, I say, two years, even 18 months? You know, that's one thing I'm not entirely sure about. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot more funding come through, if really? anything. I've seen more, not for, I say, I've seen more mentoring schemes. Right, okay. Like um, Anita, who runs Diet Prata, does like these mentoring um, sort of schemes. And yeah. Daniel Peters, who also is, has his own... Um, consultancy does these mentoring things and the, these people are being connected to xyz mm. so there's a lot of people like dm consultants that um have launched their own mentoring schemes that then they get funding from my sort of a budget from these brands whether yeah. it be lvmh or whatever so i think people are now navigating in their own spaces as mm. well and then people are going to individuals more than institutions which is an interesting concept yeah no for sure i am um... It's it's a fascinating concept and, and it goes across so many different industries, but it's cool to talk about the fashion industry because like I say, I know very little about it, but it, it's very similar to a lot of the creative industries that I've been a part of or you know I've got friends in or family members in. Um, how important would you say social media is to all of this and the ability that we didn't have maybe 10 years ago to, if you wanted to be a designer or a stylist, 
to frankly just You'd be walking in the door and being like, look at my work. Yeah, you yeah. had to like literally get an interview in these places and you had to really hustle. And I'm not saying you don't have to hustle now, but you, you now have these platforms. What advice do you have to, to young creatives uh, wanting to get into the industry about how you can leverage your socials? All right, let's take a look at music, for example, yeah. right? TikTok. Yeah. How many new artists have come over the sign of TikTok? Wild. That's the example yeah. I give. I'm like, right, like, you do not know who is looking at your page. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You do not know who's clicking on it. Like, I don't think done with diversity would be where it's at if it wasn't mm. for social media and Instagram and the hashtag on Instagram and then people resharing it. Yeah. That was my sort of primary research to test the waters and how it's going to be received. Because of that, it turned into a consultancy. Got it you. was to be a campaign on whatever. Like I'm speaking to brands online. Now it's like, oh, do you want to come behind the scenes? So it's interesting, right? Oh, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm like, treat your social media, if you're creative, treat your social media like it's your portfolio, but not mm. too corporate. Have a bit of like a sprinkler of personality. Mm. Have a bit of sprinkler of events, whatever you want to do. And then your work. But don't, mm. but make it in a subtle way that's like, you can tell you're creative. You can tell what you do, mm. but it's not like, Am I looking at, am I just looking at someone's business, business online? So, um, but yeah, the power of social media is insane. Like yeah. incredible, uh, short form video, static images, mm. AI, AR. Oh my gosh, God, you can be who know. you want to be. Like yeah, yeah. sound, music, whatever it is. Like there's so many ways to implement creativity. Mm. And I think, yeah, I always say treat it like your creative portfolio and mm. post your work. Yeah. Like post it. Obviously, don't post like give everything away, but post elements of it in which, yeah. if someone needs a set designer, they're like, "Oh my god, this person is a set designer. I've just come across them. Yeah. Let's get in contact." Let's reach out. Yeah, it's the. Oh, this person sets flowers. I've just come across. Like it's the most. You don't know what people. Mm. You don't know who's gonna be looking at your page. No. Yeah. I think that's amazing advice, and I think that because it was interesting. So, was your socials? Were they big in any way before the documentary? Like, did you have a bit of a following? Yeah, I had a bit of a, a like, bit just of... under 10,000 before the documentary. And then it kind of grew to kind of... 60-something, oh, yeah. Wow, that's, wow, that's a big, big jump. Which is off interesting, the, off, off yeah. That when that happened. To be fair, no, it was like, I think it grew to like 40-something. And then Instagram put me on their actual Instagram account, which at the time they had like 314 million followers. And they sort of shared my story about having neuroprivimatosis and doing what I was doing. And then that's why I got like another extra 20, 30,000. That is. So it was interesting. Yeah. Mental. Like to get that kind of recognition. And then off the back of all that, you've been recognized in so many publications. So Stylist, BBC, Vogue, 100 Innovators, Business Innovators. Yeah. yeah that Tell was, me yeah. about that. Like that's just got to be, uh, I, I can just imagine from you growing up and wanting to be in this industry and then being recognized like that is just a complete like 360 moment. It is. I remember when that happened and I was like, like, it, I was just like, me? Like, what have I, I don't <laughs> How know, do you what, find out? What do I do? So I actually, they, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I'll say like, I got an email beforehand that they were like, hi, or is just like, you know, that we are excited to tell you that we are putting you forward for, oh, we, okay. you have been chosen to be in the XYZ. This is an embargo. This will be announced on XYZ. So I sort of knew a two weeks before it was being announced because mm. I just sent them some headshots. And I was like, but when I got the email, I was like, me? I don't even know what I do. I was like, what? So I was like, this is me. But so it was like a real, but even now it's like, like you said, like I grew up being like looking at these people in the industry and now yeah. some of them I'm in a list with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 
I was like, I'm all, I, I, read, I read these person's articles when I was like 13 trying to do a scrapbook or whatever. Mm. And now I'm in a list with them. Like, oh, now they follow me on Instagram. And now mm. we talk sometimes, it's crazy. And I think it is a full circle moment, but also it's also it's also in a way where you look at it and being like you get this sort of imposter syndrome but then you're also really proud because it's like i i've got so much more i want to do mm. and i really this could mean this means more than you can imagine yeah but i've not even shown a quarter of what i'm trying yeah. to do yet but however this recognition is amazing yeah yeah and this is something that it's incredible to see people like viewing your work, I think as as creatives, as individuals, whatever it is, mm. like we are our biggest critics. And I think- Oh God, yeah. I stayed up until midnight last night <sighs> just thinking like, there's nothing in my head, just thinking yeah. just stupid things. And then I'm like, just go to sleep, just like you'll yeah. be fine. Same, I think I slept at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., which we'll I talk about, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's always like you're constantly criticizing yourself and not in a manner that's mm. always negative, but it's always like, I need to do better, I need to yeah. do better, I yeah, need yeah. to do better. So how people perceive things is so interesting to see, mm. you know? And sometimes I think you've just got to sit and be like, okay, I well, I've not had the moment to do that yet, but you sometimes just sit and you're like, just look at what you've done and how far you've come. Mm. And then let that be the motivation to work harder. Like mm. these like awards and articles, I don't, I see them more as like stepping stones and mm. they help, they're gonna help me get into the next stage that I need to get mm. in this industry. Yeah. And I think having the Vogue Business 100 Innovators to my name is really that humbling as well, yeah. so. You mentioned something so interesting then where you're, you're talking about giving yourself the recognition that frankly you deserve, but it's quite difficult individuals to do that yeah. i spoke about this on a previous podcast that we're, we're sometimes our worst we're the worst at giving ourselves props for anything and i find when i'm doing it and i sit down and go oh, i've done all right in x y and z realm i feel like an imposter i feel like i'm being arrogant yeah. i feel like i feel my ego coming in and then i'm like no no i don't want don't want to feel that anymore and i, I think about how bad i've done on some things and then i then is that, that is that that does that come from because we get we fear what other people view us as? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine times yeah. out of ten, I, I would think that. 10, yeah. But I was going to say, like, what? How often do you sit back and I guess smell the roses and go, God, yeah, I have done all right. I'll be fully transparent. Not often. Yeah, not a lot. Um, and it's and it's like even when I meet people, they're like, Oh my god, Rich, you're doing so well. I've seen what you're doing. Yeah. And I don't know what to say to them. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Like <laughs> you too, you know, because they like these people. Are, I'm smashing yeah. it like, like online. I'm pretty sure they. Then if I was if I compliment them, they feel the same. So I think you you realize a lot of people feel the same. Yeah. But I think it's funny because I was having this conversation with a friend, and it was all about like this idea of contentment mm. when you're yeah, creative. Yeah. And you're constantly adding things onto your list of things that you need to do. And this idea of contentment is so far because you get one thing and now you're like, all right, onto the next. Mm. I need to and I get something bigger or better. And I think sometimes the best thing someone said to me is just, you are where you wanted to be. Yeah, and yeah. just sit down, just breathe for a bit. Yeah. You are where you want to be because enjoy the calmness or enjoy the moment now. Because when it's going to get busy, it's going to get busy. Mm. Just enjoy it for now. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do and stay present. And I think 
that a lot of people like myself and creators, we struggle to stay present. Mm. It's either we're thinking about what we said to someone in an email or we're like, oh, did I word that right? Or yeah. it's either what we're thinking about what we need to do the next day or we've had an idea come to us and now we're visioning our future five years ahead. Mm. So I'm like, right, it's got to really be like that, that present. Being con uh, content with, um, content, sorry, with, with your life is such a, a weird concept for me. Cause like you say, if you'd have gone back to a Rouge at 16 years old and gone, this is going to be your life. Yeah. And you said, right. And that's all you're going to have. Like from the day you die, then that's your yeah. life. You'd have bitten, bitten the hand off. Yeah. But, and I, um, I think I, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Grace Beverly. I saw posted something literally like two days ago being like, the next few days is going to be really stressful. Oh, I saw that You've got show, loads yeah. of exciting things coming up, but remember you're living your vision board from a year ago. So enjoy it. Try and enjoy those moments. And it is so true that whether you're, well, you know, whether you're an incredible, you know, um, stylist or actor or whether you're running a big company or whether you're just like living a quote unquote normal life, you have to sit back sometimes and not be thinking about the next thing or you're never really present, right? Yeah, I, th I think, but I think that switching off is the hardest thing yeah. to do. But I think, I do think like, it's a weird analogy because it's like this. There's a friend of mine who works in like really like math, math person, and mm. he's like, like deep into like spirituality, and he's like, yeah, but he goes, you got to think it up this way. When you get paid a wage, like you are not going to pay the same wage. Let's say when you first start, your wage would have been like really like three pound fifty an hour, like when you were like teenager or nineteen, seventeen k starting a grad job. Mm. You still do the same things you're doing now in that wage right in mm. a similar in a similar manner but now you've got maybe a bigger wage and you're still doing the same things mm. but they're more pricey so your value changes yeah. over time but your sort of how do I, I try this how your sort of output stays the same so i think there's so your, your environment can change which means your desirability changes. So when you mm. get more money, you're gonna spend more. Oh yeah, cool. When you get less, you're gonna, well, you're, you don't need, you don't have the desire, you just be like, all right, I'm gonna do mm. what I need to do. Like, it's like when I go back to Bradford, it's such a simple, Yeah. people get up, go to work, come home, that's it, chill. And I always go back to Bradford to slow down. Mm. And it's such a way because it's like, wow, the North and South is so different. And I think when you are around the hustle and bustle and I'm used, and like they say comparison is a thief of joy, like you could have just, done the most incredible thing mm. but now you've seen someone else do something that you've been also been wanting or you're like oh i wish i was there too but yeah. i think just take a look at london i think london's quite bad for that because at the yeah. moment you do something cool or, or exciting somebody next to you's done something cool and exciting and you're comparing yourself and i actually think that's so then you don't feel good enough be like yeah. oh i don't want to shout about it because no. i feel embarrassed now and yeah. yeah it's like yeah. And, and and it's the same with socials like I, I had um, a guy called Timmy on the other day and he was talking about how he's curated his social media, the people that he follows on socials because he was constantly just like looking at what other people were doing. And he was like, I just want to go on social media and be positive. Like, yeah. I don't want to be comparing myself all the time. Um, I know that we just said that we need not the need to smell the roses and look at now. So this is a terrible segue, but like, what's the future for you hold? <laughs> like what's, what's next for you? Um, I think the next for me, actually, you know what? I've got so many ideas. Um, um, I've got, yeah, I've got loads of ideas coming up. I've got some things that I'm outlining in my head that I need to sit down and properly plan. Yeah. 
But the next few things for me is you'll probably see an, a Dumb with Diversity rebrand. That is, I can definitely say that's happening. Nice. Um, and a few more projects, which I, I can't, I don't want to like, no, here's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's looking good, God willing. Yeah. And I'm just here to, I'm here, I'm here, I'm, 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 I'm here to, flip the table basically and nice. and but in a good way like i think yeah. i think the thing about these conversations is that they have to be open yeah, yeah. um you've got to be open minded and mm. i think now going in is trying diff trying even more avenues than i've tried mm. and i think I, that's come with confidence to be like oh i'm yeah. going to try this way but yeah so uh double diversity brand and a bit more open Nice. out there yeah love it my final question for you is and I, i'm trying to ask everybody this what's the biggest lesson you can share with listeners or the watchers whether it's from a personal point of view or from a business point of view that can help them in their life i think you always figure it out and what you're wanting isn't isn't as far as you think it is mm. i think that's one thing i've learned learned is that either something can be taken from, from you straight away mm. or you can get it really fast but yeah, I'd say I'd say it's not it's not like you, you almost figure it out. And I think that's that's why I leave it. I think if you're passionate about something, you'll figure it out. Just keep going. Yeah, keep figure going. it out. Rouge, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been one of the most like eye-opening, mind-provoking conversations that I've had. So thank I really appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, thank speak you. soon. See you soon. Bye.